Hello there, and thank you for joining us here on the Lions Guide podcast. Uh, on today's episode, I'm joined by one of the hosts of the Unbroken Veterans podcast, Sam Lapiana. And uh, if this is your first time joining us here at Lions Guide, I'm Dale Walls. I'm the founder, and uh, we're here to empower you, uh, everyday people, to be world class leaders. We believe that leadership is at the core of our personal and professional success. So uh, we bring our guests on to kind of explore their stories and the lessons they've learned. Uh, so that you can leverage their insights in your own success. So, Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Sam Lapiana, and I am currently in the Army Reserve. I am a combat engineer, 12 Bravo, specializing in route clearance. So that's finding IEDs on roads or footpaths and eradicating them. And on the civilian side, being in the Reserve, I have a civilian job. So, I sell uh, industrial valves to be specific, and uh, I also run Unbroken Veterans Podcast with my co-host and co-veteran, Nick Meisner, who will probably be on another episode or, um, I don't know, maybe we'll, maybe he won't. Anyway. We'll figure it out. It'll be a part <laughs> yeah. two. We'll get Nick on. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. Um, so yeah, that's kind of kind of me in a nutshell. Yeah, awesome. So what did, what was your decision to get in the Army? I guess, you know, was that like something a lot of folks fresh out of high school, fresh out of college? Like what's what's the story behind uh, becoming a soldier? So it's kind of funny is I remember recruiters in high school and I was I considered very lightly considered like joining the Marines. I kind of talked to the guy, I got the brochure and then it was highly encouraged by my parents to go to college. So I did do that. Um, but then afterward, you know, I graduated in 2010, technically 2011, which is another story. But um, it's, I kind of joked it was the, I graduated in a time of, you know, joblessness. You know, pe yeah. people that had careers were getting laid off, everything. And I re really wasn't sure what to do. And so somebody I knew had been in the Navy for years. And they, and when I knew them, they were out. And they just, they encouraged me. They knew I was kind of interested. And they said, probably the best advice was um, there's no way you could be worse off, which I mean, is true to one degree or another, I'd say mostly true. So um, now is that because like, you mean like you were on kind of like an empty path at that time yeah, and they're like, yeah. Hey, it can't be any worse than where you're at now. Exactly. And not that I, you know, I was working at a hardware store and, and there's potential to go to another job or find something else, which I did do because I've only been in the reserve the whole time. I almost went active duty that was kind of my intention. And then at the last minute started dating a girl, which that didn't pan out either, but that's fine because I wouldn't have ended up in the reserves had I not dated her. And so I decided to do the reserves, see where that relationship went. It went nowhere, but if I hadn't been in the reserves as possible, I wouldn't have met my now wife. So mm. funny how life goes. Um, so anyway, but, but kind of the, the last one of the final straws was uh, I would, I would see guys and everyone sees them, you know, it's a, uh, it's an old dude and he's got the black veteran hat and doesn't matter what branch they were in. It references how they serve. So like, it'll be U S army or, you know, 82nd airborne, or it'll be the USS whatever. And so I, I always thank those guys for the service and appreciated it, but I kind of realized that the best way to thank them was to go serve as well. And right. so being a mostly able-bodied person, I should be able to do that. So I did that. 
Yeah, that's it's awesome. And so, what was the tie break between Marines and Army? And did, it, did you did you talk to any other 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 branches? I actually didn't. So the only time I talked to a Marine recruiter was that time in high school. And so um, I was going to go Navy, and then decided I wanted a gun. And I know I could have tried to be high speed in the Navy, but you know, the young dude in my twenties who'd never been incredibly fit, he's trying to just straight up join the SEALs, and if I fail, end up painting boats for a living didn't seem like a risk I wanted to take. And so I uh, thought I wanted to carry a gun, do more soldier-esque stuff. And then wandering around Missouri with a gun in the woods, I was like, maybe I didn't want a gun. But in the end, I'm glad I went to the Army. So that's why I went to the Army. I'm not really 100% sure why. Yeah, I kind of leaned Army versus Marines. I think it just seemed like Army had more expansive opportunities. And they do in the Reserve, that's for sure. I know a lot of Marines that I've met through the Reserves that are in the Army and when they left active duty Marines, they became reserve army because of opportunities. So. Right. So did you, you know, so did you kind of like stay working at the hardware store and kind of go do boot camp and all that stuff? Like kind of what changed for you life-wise as you kind of like join the army? Cause right. You do, you do go to boot camp, right. And then you kind yep. of split out. You do. Yeah. You do everything. Certain army schools, there's a reserve version and other stuff like boot camp, basic training. Um, there's everybody has to go to that. And so there's no watered down version, which there shouldn't be, especially for boot camp. So National Guard and Reserve and Active Army all go to the same boot camp. And so um, the reason I kind of things where they went life wise was uh, I ended up leaving the hardware store, went to sell cars at Infinity dealership. And then um, from there actually got it was like two weeks in. And this guy was like, hey, I like the way, you know, you you write emails and, and handle customers. I'm not really interested in buying a car from you right now, but here's my card if you're interested in a different form of sales. And so what's funny is that was in 2012 and that guy's my boss right now. Wow. For That's the awesome. second time, too. Um, yeah, kind of my brief overview of my civilian career. So I uh, worked at Infinity and then... Um, left ended up a few months later trying to get out of the car business ended up back in the car business at acura had some issues with the dealership went back to infinity and then but it was while i was at acura that i called this guy and was like hey you know you gave me your card two years ago it's two years ago at this point Dang. and i was like uh you know i am interested in another version of sales and so he kind of had to rejog jog his memory and he was starting an opening and then uh it wasn't until I was I went back to Infinity that he ended up you know, he was he had the time and and the space and everything to work me in and so it's kind of funny leaving Infinity again but um, I I ended up uh, I'd help out on busy weekends and stuff here and there make a little extra money on the side but um, so anyway I worked there and then a couple of years later I uh, had an opportunity to go to work for a manufacturer and did learn my lesson um, corporate America is not for me. In most cases so then uh got actually well i had it out with my boss and i got fired and uh this is one of those it's good kind of thing because i've been traveling 50 percent of the time i had a daughter who wouldn't even one and so i went from not a lot of time with her to all the time with her and then found out i was deploying mm. And so I attribute a lot of our closeness, even now, especially what helped when I got back from deployment was all that extra time I got to spend. So it's interesting that any time I've been fired in my life has been 
actually a really good thing. And so, uh, so anyway, that's kind of the roundabout of my civilian career. So then anyway, on deployment, because my now boss, again, he, he had been a mentor in the industry, remained a friend and mentor of mine. So we talked about me coming back. And so when I came back from deployment, had this job all ready to go. And I've been here, I got back in 2020. So it's been over three years. Oh, wow. So what exactly do you do, do, you do there? So I sell valves. I'm inside and outside sales. And so I go to power plants, water, wastewater stations, um, factories, you know, like M&M, places like that. And I sell them stuff either for their process or other things they have going on. Um, and, uh, you know, help them solve problems. Doesn't always mean I sell them something. Oftentimes it does, but it just depends. So here I am. Yeah, cool. I mean, I found that, you know, maybe this is a little sidebar. I don't know, you know, like, look, being in the military, being a veteran, like we're always like front and center, especially if you become NCO and stuff like that, you run a mm -hmm. platoon and, it, you know, so gigs like sales and business development that are like high engagement, like I, I feel like we can kind of just like roll right in those. Like we, we'll talk to anybody, we you know, it's like no big deal. Like I, I had a lot of success in my you know, post-military civilian career just because like I, I can talk with people. I mean, I got no, I've got no, right. <laughs> no problem getting up in front of people. You know, right. I can do my thing. And, and, and I, I credit a lot of that just to just the, the rigors of that in, in the service. Like you're always standing in front of like, whether it's the platoon or in front of brass or whatever the case may be. Yeah. But you were, were you officer enlisted? No, actually I enlisted even with the college degree. I figured I could yeah. always go officer if I wanted to. And, uh, about 11 and a half years later, I never did. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm an NCO and, uh, you, but you're totally right. And that's kind of one of the things we, we hammer on, on heart, uh, unbroken veterans is, uh, like, Hey, even if you think, cause there's, there's this kind of belief that like, you know, some people go join the military and they become a plumber, like for the army, nothing wrong with that. They figure they learn the jobs set. It's something easy to transition to into the civilian side when they're done serving. And they're totally right. Well, the other side of that coin is that a lot of people like, oh, I was infantry or like my job. I look for explosives. And other than select um, select trades, like being a police officer or something, you think you don't have anything to offer, but you're really wrong. Um, again, we talk about, you know, time management and planning is beaten into your head. Uh, tactical awareness, having to just paying attention to your surroundings. Uh, it's just like you said, having to speak, I'm kind of notorious for, uh, I'm kind of the, the platoon or unit wordsmith too, is, is a lot of my sales and management goes to the army, but my management and sales in the army goes back to my civilian job. Cause I'll be, I just know how to present information. And most of the time I use those powers for good. Um, but every once in a while I use it to serve my Joes and not necessarily myself or someone else. Um, so you're, you're totally right. You know, military having you kind of almost groomed for a sales job, depending on where you fit in, in the platoon, you know, are you talkative guy? Well, you could probably go definitely make some sales calls. My boss, he's a chatty guy and he was in the air national guard for 13 years. I want to say, uh, so yeah, yeah, it really does prep you very well. Yeah. And I think like, especially on like the sales side, you know, the, 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 people you know soft skills and, and you know engagement skills whatever yeah I, don't, I wouldn't call it extroversion like I, I consider myself I'm a bit of an introvert you know at heart but yeah, I don't have too. a problem talking to people you know um 
so it's I wouldn't say it's like, you know, like veterans or extroverts. I wouldn't go so far. But, you know, I would say like our the requirement of service to be highly engaged with others, whether it's within a team, leading a team, following whatever, um, you know, when it comes to sales and you couple that with that, you know, what we've got that that mission accomplish it mindset, you know, because that's that's where people die on the vine of sales. Right. They just aren't willing to kind of persevere right like yeah keep, keep working oh, yeah. and and i feel like we come out with that much you know if nothing else you're making it through boot camp you're coming out with some some sort of form of uh perseverance that you know making calls and getting rejected and you know yeah. even with clients i work with today i go you're not making a call because you're afraid of that no you're, you're afraid of that rejection you know it's it's not yeah. that you couldn't have that conversation but you're yeah. you're you're you fear the rejection you know i, I don't think you know, we always have I agree. that problem I joke uh, all the time that I get rejected for a living is my job. <laughs> and I mean, it, an outstanding or borderline outstanding closing rate is 25%. Mm. And so sometimes the way I explain it to people is I say, okay, look, um, if I give you a list of 500 people to call, you'll get a handful, if not 25%. Again, that's a good rate and it takes a little skill to get there. But some people will want more information or they'll buy the product. A lot of it is just a numbers game. So it takes that perseverance of, um, you know, or I said, if I told you that every 10 calls you make, the 10th person will do whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. Would you just make 10 calls, 10 calls, 10 calls, 10 calls, and, you know, constantly. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, it's almost how it is in reality, except you're not guaranteed it's the 10th person you call but you got to call X amount of people. So, so many failures will equal, equal a success no matter what. Uh, it's just the odds are, you know, you can't bat a thousand, but you're also, it would be hard to bat zero as well. So sure. then you introduce a little skill, knowing what to say or what to ask, that will increase your odds. And so there's really kind of a science to it because I'm not, never have been, especially selling cars. And that's why I sold premium cars was being more pushy. Or, you know, trying to be forceful. That wasn't my thing. It all about finesse and, um, you know, explaining things. And that's why anytime I sold anything, I did research before committing to selling a product or selling a line because I wanted to understand, you know, what the benefits are. And uh, I mean, it, in the industry I'm in now, I don't really have to worry about selling a bad product, but like cars, you know, I, I wanted to sell a car I believed in. I liked Infinities a lot. Um, so, it just goes to, uh, well, a little bit of tangent there, but it goes to, um, you know, how, how you formulate everything. So, yeah. Yeah. Look, you know, we, I have to explain to people all the time because I, I really despise like, you know, today's technology. Here I am a technology guy about to say this, but like, you know, people don't want to talk. They want to do text and, and do everything it. over email. And, and I have to explain to people and say, especially leaders to go, look, humans are designed to communicate way more sophisticated than that. Like it's, it's, it's our words, it's, it's our tonality, it's our expressions that we're given, you know, so you need all of the above. You can't communicate effectively with just the words, especially of text, right. you know, it's all oh, yeah. gobbledygook freaking, you know, you know, responding back. Like, what do you mean by, you know, yeah. BTW, <laughs> whatever, but, but 
you know, and, and so, man, so the ability to just communicate well is, is will get you so far, you know, and I still today, mm -hmm. like I pick up the phone and call people, you know, just say, I don't, I don't want to, you know, we mentioned on a pregame, I, I coach uh, youth football and I, I tell the coaches, you know, I'm, I'm rotating down back to the younger age group. So I'm taking on a new staff and stuff. And I got to tell everyone, like, we're not having a conversation over text ever you know if there's a conversation mm -hmm. to be had we're on a scheduled time because i i do i'm not having a we will not have a conversation ever over yeah. text period you know it's just not happening yeah it's that thing where like i like interacting with someone on the phone because my tone i can try to be more funny you know usually the way my humor goes with emails is i kind of say something and then it totally goes over their head understandably and then i make fun of myself and that's really most of the time me getting humor out of emails but at the same time in sales, you know, with, with uh, kind of going back to what we we're talking about with the army relation, so much of sales, at least for the way I do it, is dissemination of information. Mm -hmm. Customer has a question, I go to manufacturer, I get an answer, I send it back to the customer. Well, then in that dissemination, there's a lot of like, you you can cover your ass. You can, you can prove, hey, I told you this last August or, you know, hey, I never got this bit of information. So it, I'm so torn because... The cover your ass thing is nice, but at the same time, sometimes, and, and and I don't get told this so much, but sometimes my bosses tell others is like sometimes you got to pick up the phone, and uh, yeah, it's especially when you're working on relationships because again, big someone like me, the way I operate sales, big relationship person, it's just hard to to formulate a really good relationship well, over you, black and white. Maybe you can relate to this, but like one of the things I always ran into with on the sales side of business was people would say, just send me the quote. I say, I don't send quotes. I present quotes. So when you're ready to see the quote, I'll, you know, let's book a call. I'll walk you through it. We'll, we'll have a meeting or anything like, mm -hmm. you know, really zoom was really a thing since 2020. So it's, it's fresh in probably in your world, my world, it was, you know, if I had a, you know, initial discovery meeting, you know, I would set up a presentation meeting at the end of that one usually same bat time mm -hmm. the following week you know same time same day everything usually because it worked today so it should work next week usually yeah and um but i would tell them like hey i will come back and present the proposal you because know, people would say just send it to me well when you and, and i'm saying this for the benefit of people out there listening that are maybe mm -hmm. in our trade or looking to get into, into sales you know all they're going to do if you send them the quote is they're going to go straight to the bottom line and then they're going to judge judge everything off the number. Yeah. Um, but but there's a value proposition to be made. They, they, there's objections Absolutely. to be overcome. There, there's, you know, and I I, I kind of try to get people to think of sales as leadership. Like you're leading a prospect or a client to a desired outcome, a win-win desired outcome, right? It's right. a win for you. It should be a win for them, right? It should be something right. that they need. And, and we kind of need to lead the way to that. Right. You know, we yeah. don't just kind of like be an innocent bystander and let them kind of drive. You kind of go, let me lead you to an desired outcome. I, I mean, that's the way I've always looked at it anyway. I, I, yeah, I do it like consultative sales. Now, you know, a lot of businesses is, I mean, I don't say guaranteed, but more than likely, depending on the customer, I know they're coming to me, I'm their valve guy, or I know that in this scenario, I'm already ahead. You know, if I quote a project, cause I quote, engineers too, right? Like Black and Beach or Kiwit, um, some of the big names. Uh, but anyway, so, but I look consultative sales and I try to educate the customer. Again, I just for me, I don't, I educate them in general. So I don't try to educate them why this particular thing that only I sell is the only answer. 
I don't play that game. But what I do is give them general education if they're lacking it about what scenario we're looking at, what their options are. That's one of the biggest is, okay, here are your options and here's what I recommend. Uh, and then, you know, kind of using that to gain business too, because I'm the one that clearly knows what's going on. I, I developed a saying at the when I worked at the hardware store because it always just drove me crazy the way people would say, well, the customer's always right. And I'm like, no, they're not. <laughs> I'm the professional. That's why they're asking me. Now, I don't have to be a dick about it. Or if they want it this way, then just sell it. You know, there is there are salesmen, especially in cars sales that I saw where they it was almost like they argued with the customer what the customer is buying. And I'm like, well, you're totally right. That's what the customer needs, option B. But they want option A. And so that's where like. <laughs> Because from that the Equalizer movie when he's like they pay they say and I'm like now that's one I can get behind you know you know they're, they're not always right in terms of what the best product is but they're right in which one they want to spend their money on and you know I feel like if at the end of the day I uh, did a good job explaining the scenario and they still wanted to choose whatever they wanted to choose that's their decision and yeah. I you know there's nothing wrong that I did and maybe you know they know their situation better than me so kind of going with that. So. You ever see that And this goes back to the CYA thing you mentioned earlier. You ever run into the customer amnesia though? You, you're, you're telling them, Hey, B is yeah. the right thing. And they go, no, no, it's not a, I want a, and you go, but, but really B is fits your needs. And then mm -hmm. they get a, and then a week or month or whatever goes by. And it's, well, you sold me this freaking mm -hmm. a, you know, well, it's crap. It doesn't work. And you're like, well, sir, you know, Hey, actually, yeah. Yeah. Luckily, I don't run into that too much. I thought I was afraid of running into that in the car business and really never did for the roughly two years I was in. But um, like like language especially is, is a big one in valves. You know, sometimes they don't know what a word means. So like, for instance, to give a brief example, so you got a butterfly valve. I don't think I have any in my office or pictures or anything, but you got a butterfly valve. It's It's skinny and then it's got the butterfly that turns and you turn the handle on the top and there's technically three ways, but two main ways for it to connect to the pipe. You've got lugged, which is screws come in from both sides through the flange on the pipe and into the valve. And then there's wafer where there's just loops, for lack of a better term, in the valve body. And one bolt goes through the pipe flange, through the valve, through the next pipe flange, and then you tighten it on with nuts on the other side. And so the point is that somebody came to me, they want a butterfly valve, they're with the city of wherever, and um, and their description was wafer, and that's not uncommon. So I thought, okay. So I quoted it. They ordered it. They got it, and they were like, "Hey, you know, what's the deal? The bolt, you know, it needs like long bolts to go through." And I was like, "Well, you asked for a wafer," and but luckily I was able to look through my emails, and it wasn't a mistake I made, um, which isn't definitely not an egotistical thing. It's more like I hate making mistakes, so I'm glad yeah. it was not me. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, but, and then I was able to educate them, but I was also able to say, you can use this, just use longer bolts. This was less expensive. This was technically easier to install. If you want the other, we can work something out. So yeah. definitely CYA. Yeah. And then I have to say, I think sales, it, it takes a lot of leadership skills. It may be, and, and I tell people like, look, leadership is everywhere. So it's not always like a direct report, like someone that works for you and you're their leader. Um, you know, the, the sales is a form of indirect leadership, right? You, you're, yeah. you're influencing them. You, you know, you yeah. need to lead them, like I said, to, to the, 
their desired outcome, you know, because they often don't know what that is sometimes. I mean, in your case, sounds like you're working with clients that are that are buying the stuff. They kind of know what they want. But but some clients, you know, like you said, in consultate, mm-hmm. cons- consultative sales, I was in the IT services business. They really don't know what they want. They just know they want yeah. it to work. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, there's a lot of, you know, leading them in, in, in that to your point, you, you do need to educate them and, and that, you know, builds a, a major component of sales, which is trust. You know, if you're mm-hmm. really helping them, you're educating them, you're helping them not make mistakes, um, you know, make helping them get the right thing. Man, that builds a ton of trust capital. And those clients over time, you know, those transactions, those sales, um, I loved winning so much trust capital with clients where they would go, Dale, if you say that's what I need, how soon can we get it? Yeah. Man? Like that was it. That was the conversation. And yeah. I loved that, you know, because that was my goal, like to, to work with integrity mm-hmm. and, 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 and earn that trust that we could just yeah. get things done, you know, yeah, build that relationship. Um, and yeah, and, and to me, it's important. It also helps me keep honest and not, not that I need too much help with that, but it's, it's like, you know, I always looked at, I, I want the return business. I need to sell valve today, but I need to sell one tomorrow too. Yeah. And what's going to have them coming back? Well, being a, a small operation, I'm really one of five. Um, and that includes one person's the accounting department and one person is inside and shipping. And then one person is just inside and then the other person's the owner. So small group, you know, I explained to people that, Hey, part, part of us is our value add is, is being your consultant, not everything. Not every answer I'm going to come up with is going to include buying something for me and I'll help you troubleshoot a valve problem even if it's not my valve in the hopes that I replace it. Um, but there have been times where, okay, well, you got an air leak. That's what it is. And uh, I hope that in the future, that's what leads to more business because my willingness to help. And I kind of explained it too, like, you know, you got, you got your big houses where they do pipe valves, fittings and all kinds of stuff. And the way I explain it is those guys are great. We, we do business with people like that. Um, but where they don't specialize in valves, I can very specifically help you troubleshoot because this is all I do. Kind of like a specialist, like a doctor, you know, you got your rheumatoid arthritis doctors, you got your, uh, your podiatrists. And so, um, you know, your, your heart doctors. So that's the way I swing it. And then, uh, but, but yeah, like with military stuff, it's, it's all about presenting information, you know, a customer versus an officer, I can say, well, here's the problem. And and this is where people miss the mark on don't present problems without solutions. So I'll present a problem, but I present the solutions with it to the decision maker. And that's where, whether it's an officer or a customer, I say, okay, here, here's the problem. Here's the issue. And here's three solutions, pros and cons to each and my recommendation. And then they decide. Right. And whatever they think is best, you know, go with my recommendation. Don't it's up to them completely. And, that, yeah. and, and it, I don't know, it's easy for me to, to remove the emotion from that, too, because I did my best to to give them what they need. Um, but again, with officers, sometimes there, there's a little bit of ulterior motive in there, like, you know, well, I really don't want to make all my Joes unload all those connexes again and count everything. So I'm going to try to recommend this solution where we don't do that. But, um, <laughs> but that's, yeah, other than that, it's pretty straightforward. 
So you had mentioned earlier, just kind of like one of your motivations for serving was, you know, you know, instead of saying, thank you for your service, you want to go serve. Like, so at this point with the, you know, obviously your military service so far and what you're doing with unbroken veterans, like, do you feel fulfilled in that, that initial, uh, motive? Uh, yeah, for the most part. And are you talking about just the service or unbroken veterans or both? Uh, all at both. Um, yeah, I would say, so I'm coming up for my contract being up next April and it's my second contract that I'm finishing and the next one I'll have to go indefinite and basically finish out 20. And so I'm moving more and more toward being done. And I know there's, there's more people than not that regret getting out or they, you know, they say, don't do it. You know, you're past halfway there. And yes, but my rebuttal is always, if I had you run, if I asked you to run 20 miles, mile 12, it's not going to start getting easier. Plus, I also can see where some guys have a break in service where they serve however many years and then they get out probably for the similar reasons as me. And then they come back to it. I don't think I'll, I'll come back. I think I'm ready to move on. Um, but a big piece missing from my first contract was that I didn't deploy. Mm. That was an important education that I wanted. And um, the irony is that I re-upped partly because of TRICARE and partly because they were so in the reserve, you can end up, you can stay in the same unit for your whole career. So like, for instance, other than changing from a detachment platoon that was in our, that was a part of our company to now I'm in the main company, which happened back in 2015, uh, that change, but I've really been the same company for my entire career, which just sound crazy to some people. Um, so I'm going with this is the leadership changes over time as one can imagine, just like anywhere. And so uh, there was a, leadership change for the better. And so between TRICARE and having a daughter on the way and um, and then leadership changes, the unit improving, I was kind of interested to stay. And then right after I re-upped, I want to say like a few months, they were like, we have been elected to deploy. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, here we go. And I, I don't know, like I would have wanted to volunteer but I didn't volunteer. You know, it's one of those things where something I wanted and I got it through force. You know, I wouldn't have done that to my wife with, with a kid that young, but um, it was, it just happened that way. Clearly. Yeah. You wanted to kind of have it on, you were expecting to kind of volunteer to deploy, kind of have it on your terms where you kind mm -hmm. of re up and two months yeah, in, and you had a little one and yeah. 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 So it was, that was an int interesting deal for sure. So where, where'd you end up? Where'd you deploy? So I went to Afghanistan. Nick mm -hmm. and I were there from, um, uh, I don't say we got on ground in like July 5th or 6th of 2019. And then we came back in the helter skelter spring of 2020. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, April 10th was the day I got back to uh, Kansas city where I'm from. And, uh, yeah, the, the COVID stuff was insane, uh, for sure. I mean, the government, nobody, you know, and, and I, I, I jokingly talk trash on the government. I seriously talk trash sometimes, but in all fairness, nobody had any idea what was going on with any of that. I mean, I'll never forget. There was word of it when we were still in Afghanistan uh, and we were just finishing up. I'm talking, we had, we had all our gear turned in, our vehicles were turned over to whoever, whatever new officer coming in was going to be in charge of them. 
we weren't doing missions anymore. And then there was talk of it and we're just kind of like, Oh, that's crazy. You know, but I, most of us chalked it up to, uh, you know, when SARS was in bird flu and all that yeah. swine flu. And so, and, and I know there's a great debate as to whether it was or wasn't, I have no interest in, in showing my hand as to which side I'm on of the opinion scale, but to go into the experience as it was, uh, I'll never forget. Um, so we, we, we worked pretty hard to keep a warrior mentality when we were over there. We were on Bagram the whole time, which is a difficult place to keep the warrior mentality. I mean, you got Wi-Fi, you got, I don't know if you passed through there, but, um, it, I mean, it's, it's like a Disneyland, you know, it's not, you, so many people just were under the disillusion that they weren't in a third world country at war mm. uh, because of how big it is, how protected it is. Uh, so anyway, we finally went to a movie at the NWR and partway through, uh, all of a sudden it was all turned off. Like what's happening? And they're like, they're closing the NWR and we're all c- confused. And uh, so then we had to go back to our barracks. And so then come to find out that everything was just closing down on base. At this point, we'd even turned in our ammo. We were within two days of leaving. So we finally, we left in the next couple of days. None, none of the mass stuff had come out yet. Nothing, none of the other kind of craziness, but they definitely wanted people separate, which was interesting because we were, they, they weren't letting us be outside. Again, this is back in the early phases when, when things just kept flipping back and forth as to what you're supposed to do. Uh, they, they wanted us we couldn't be outside so we had to be in the building the circulated vented air from one room to the next so <laughs> in terms of respiratory things yeah a wor- way worse situation than outside although afghanistan being so polluted i guess it's debatable but point being that um so we made it out of afghanistan within about a day of them closing off that opportunity so oh, we wow. got to kuwait and found out that we were one of the last flights out we were in Kuwait for about three days, which was a day and a half or so longer than we were supposed to be. And, uh, on the way out again, trying to maintain some warrior mentality, Kuwait, for those who don't know is the vacation deployment. It's not combat. It's in a very safe area. They've got, you know, shrimp for lunch. There's, you know, football fields and track and volleyball stuff and beautiful gyms and pools. And, you know, people are there. It's like a purgatory in the middle East. And, uh, so we avoided all that, again, to keep that warrior mentality. But when we were coming back to Kuwait, we're like, we're going back to the States. We're going to go to the steakhouse. We're going to do all that stuff. And all of it was closed. Mm. Not a st- And they have Starbucks. I mean, not a Starbucks was open or Taco Bell or anything. And so, you know, we basically uh, played volleyball and twiddled our thumbs for three-ish days. And then we left, flew through Germany and New Hampshire and then got to Fort Bliss and the morning, which basically the next day. So that morning, there was a worldwide military 60-day no travel order put out. So, I mean, I lay, I made it to Bliss barely. And, that, I mean, that would have been another 60 days at least before I could, you know, then go through the two-week process stateside before seeing my family. So this must have been like March 2020 because that's when things really just. Oh, yeah, it was March. Yeah. It was late, late March. Yeah, yeah. And then we had to quarantine for two weeks. They had tents in the desert. And it was very interesting because it was very, uh, <laughs> it was like bittersweet, but on very opposite ends of the scale. So we had tents and we had cots and there were occasional wind and dust storms. 
but they had like somehow these frames and glass doors for the tents. So that was interesting. Um, and then we had yard time because we couldn't, you know, be in the activity area at the same time as other tents because people had gotten there at different times. So they put them in different tents and kind of kept a clock on the two week quarantine. And then um, from there, they, uh, you know, said that there was Wi-Fi, but ours was garbage. And then, but then they had these trailers. So people probably seen them, these, uh, you know, trailers with the bathroom and everything. And those are very nice. And so I was like, okay, like place to shower, place to use a restroom and clean. I can take that over poor Wi-Fi. And so, um, yeah. And then we flew, then we got, after two weeks of that, they were able to compress two weeks of demobilization into a day and a half, which was appreciated, but comics, you scratch your head over the, all the other times it takes two weeks. Um, but then being around on Fort Bliss, again, the back and forth, the craziness of the COVID, at first MPs were yelling at us because we were supposed to wear a mask outside, not inside. And then obviously that <laughs> changed background. So it was just, uh, it was insanity. Um, and so we had literal, I have a picture of a friend of mine. When we were going from the tents in the desert to the main post, the army had uh, administered these literal shamwows with holes cut and rubber bands pulled through them to keep them on our faces, the mask, because they didn't have masks or anything else. And so it was, uh, it's quite the experience, but yeah, it's like a lot of decision whiplash through that yeah. period that, that like this first three, four months, like March on, it was so crazy. Like so much, so much news and this week it's this and that next week it's that man. It's just like, as far as far as your time in Afghanistan itself, mm -hmm. you know, was there anything that kind of like shaped your experience that, that you took away from, you know, because, you, you know, you were voluntold, you know, which right. wasn't kind of your game plan, but you got to go. Was there any kind of yeah. like stuff that you, you learned about yourself or about your service or anything like that when you're over there? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I learned, I learned a lot about some of the army mentality that I haven't been exposed to because I've been in the reserve, hmm. um, as far as how the big army can function, the pros and the cons. I mean, I, I hate to be critical, especially still being in, cause it's kind of a gray area as far as what all I can go into, but I look at it as talking about leadership failures that I saw. Um, and it's, it's easy. And, and I work very hard to not be negative about it. Um, cause I don't want to sound, I don't want it to sound like I'm bitching, but I think that people, that are in that are wanting to know how to be better leaders or that are wanting to get in. I think they can hear experiences from people like myself. I'm not the only one with experiences. Uh, I think they can hear those experiences and apply them to their own leadership style because some stuff was extremely frustrating. And uh, I kind of got to the saying that like, you know, some days the biggest enemies were on base with me, not outside. And that's because of people, you know, either not wanting to listen to, to other um, avenues of thinking, or they have their own agendas, and and that happens at all levels. I definitely dealt with with other NCOs, my level as well, that were not good. And uh, yeah, so for instance, our job is to find IEDs, and we were good at our job. People like to talk trash in the reserves, and I can tell you right now, I don't care who you are, what your experience is, in both active and reserve, there's good units and there's bad units we fell in behind a bad unit that was active duty. And I'm not saying they were bad because they're active duty, but they were a bad unit and they happen to be active duty. 
and uh, it showed in their vehicle maintenance. It showed in their repertoire or uh, in their relationship with locals and other people on base, you know, as far as getting stuff fixed or, or things like that, uh, logistics. And so, um, but one frustrating thing was our, our job was to, to handle IEDs and we, our platoon specifically practice hard at vehicle recovery. So we could quickly deploy a tow bar, you know, a lot, a lot of units that they, they don't, or, or platoons rather, don't necessarily practice that stuff all the time. And to me, that if you're working with vehicles, you should know how to recover a vehicle quickly. Because everything to me is time on target. As soon as you stop to do anything on convoy in a combat zone, there's a clock that is ticking. And it could take hours before anything happens. Nothing could happen. Or, you know, it could take the enemies close by and they can get a mortar squad together in 10 minutes and start hitting you with artillery. So you just don't know. So you want to be as fast as possible also, because you don't want your mission that's planned for six hours to become 12 or something. So, uh, things like meta, um, you know, Kazavak, Medivac, we, we practice all that. And so after a little while, the, the high, the higher ups decided, uh, which was outside of our unit decided they want to val they wanted to be a part of our validation lanes because weekly we would run rehearsals and validation lanes. Um, for practice. And so they started one, one to start being a part of that and it just wrecked it. And so at one point uh, to give you a little background on, on the job and how some of the stuff works. So we, we mostly do road uh, IED searches, but we do dismounted as well on the, on foot. And we were doing that in Afghanistan. And so you have uh, if your combat engineer, your rock clearance, you're familiar with these things called enablers, which just means, um, you know, like mine detector, but, it's a lot more than that. Um, there's IEDs with no metal parts. So the whole, the term mine detector is, is not really a good description of what all stuff we're carrying around with us. So we've got stuff that detects carbon. We've got stuff that detects wires. So we've got all these things. Now here's, here's the, the thing. None of them work on asphalt because some of them use stuff like ground penetrating radar, things like that. Asphalt is too thick, but also no one's going to walk up to asphalt with a shovel bury an IED. It's just physically not going to happen. So that's where, uh, and so we, no one had explained that, that we were supposed to simulate anything else than what we were doing. And we were doing a validation lane on asphalt. And when there was a simulated hit on an IED on a vehicle behind us, we jumped out of the truck, we grabbed, grabbed the, the litter as the, as the designated Kazavak team, we ran back to the truck to notionally do Kazabak. And so when we did, after we did, this captain comes up and he's like, did you guys, did you guys scan, scan the road before you ran back to that vehicle? And we're like, no, I mean, other than with our eyes. And he's like, well, why did you not do that? And we were like, cause well, A, you don't have to, cause they can't bury stuff there. And B, the enablers don't work anyway. There's physically no way to scan. Plus the fact you don't need to. And then he's like, what do you mean by enablers? And we were like, we like held him up. And he's like, oh, okay. And I'm like, why are you validating me right now? Like why you clearly have no knowledge of what's going on. You know, we were fine doing our own thing and you guys had to get involved. And so that's kind of one, one of my main gripes that I experienced or examples. Um, as far as learning about myself, I was curious to get into a, a conflict 
to see, you know, how I would really react. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've always been um, pretty good at, at reacting to a, a situation, less than desirable situation, especially if it unfolds fast. Um, and so, but, but the way I saw it is I never really knew unless I was in combat. That's one of the reasons I wanted to be not because I'm an adrenaline junkie or because I like fighting or anything, but, but how, I don't know how else to really know yourself than in a moment of true chaos. And so, um, I was in a vehicle that was hit by an IED and, um, so now I know, uh, gunfight is always different too. And so, but as far as being in a vehicle that's hit by an IED, I reacted according to training and we all conducted ourselves as we would. Uh, it was a non-concussive IED. So, um, it was what you call a DFFC, a directionally focused fragmentation charge. It's basically a bunch of screws and nuts and bolts packed in in front of an explosive element and it's in a tube and so it shoots it all out at you know breakneck speed i mean i've got pictures of the truck that's all torn up and you're talking hard cast metal parts of the truck just you know it looks like something took a bite out of it because it's screwed mm. past through the metal at the speed of mock jesus mm. and so uh so but the rgs that we ride in are so up armored that none of that stuff pierced the actual hull of the vehicle. Oh, wow. And so that, I mean, that was good. Uh, and our gunner happened to be facing this other direction where there was a post because there's a roof on his gunner's hatch. And so there's the post so it protected him. And so, um, you know, a lot so, of it. So was, you guys hit it, no injury, no injury casualty? No, no injury casualty. Uh, shockingly, even though we had three flat tires, we were able to drive back to base. Hmm. Uh, and the driver is not particularly a good driver love him he's hilarious but he was notorious for not being a good driver so he even got us back and he was uh i mean there's funny stuff from it too i mean like we're driving along and he's like hey sergeant something's wrong with the steering and we're like what and he's like when i brake, it does this and he slams on the brakes and the whole vehicle veers left hard and then he corrects it and we're like well then don't do that <laughs> and the other kind of funny part of the story is uh it happened in this place where i don't know however long before that we were going through there on another mission and I didn't know what was happening because I was a couple of vehicles back, but the lead vehicle, there's a donkey in the middle of the road and the lead vehicles had these uh, light duty arms, these interrogation arms, which are used for kind of checking stuff out. It's got a little gripper claw on there. And uh, so he just he used the arm to try to kind of like push, like coax the donkey out of the road and it wouldn't go. And then he finally got like frustrated and he had basically pushed the donkey with this arm and this donkey fell in this little ditch. It was kind of stuck. And so then we drove through and I saw the donkey and my truck wondered why it was in the hole, but we were like, it's Afghanistan. You never know. We saw a dog on a roof once, no idea how it got there. So we moved on. So we actually, as we were driving down the road before getting hit, we were joking about um, the donkey and we we're like, yeah, the things, cause somebody said like, this is the road where the donkey was. And we were like, yeah, the donkey's probably pissed. It's probably in the Taliban. Now it's going to, it's going to blow <laughs> us up. And then boom. <laughs> That's that's when it happened. So it's, so I mean, there's definitely humorous humor to it. And then you know, I back where we trained, you know, many times for that scenario. Obviously, having never been in it. And uh, one thing that was funny was we always train. You know, always where there's one, there's two as far as IEDs. And so just because one went off doesn't mean there's not more. And so I went to look out my window to see if there's any more. And that's when I realized, you know, after years years of looking out a window to see if there's more IDs after a simulated debt, 
there was dust and smoke everywhere. Mm. <laughs> so I couldn't see anything. Sure. So I was kind of like, well, okay, I did my due diligence, can't see shit. And so I uh, went to the radios because they a lot of electronics are reset and that kind of thing. And so I went to making sure we were getting the radios up so that we could talk to the rest of the convoy and at least say no casualties, that kind of thing. And so, uh, yeah, so that, that was one of those things I wanted to know about myself. And I would never put anyone in harm's way or do anything to put myself in a scenario to figure it out. But I was interested to to be in a scenario like that to get that answer. And so I was blessed that I got I got that answer and no one was hurt at all in the uh in the making of getting that answer and of course uh, three other people got their answer too so um yeah so so as far as nick's concerned did you meet nick in the service or in deployment yeah. or where did where did you guys cross paths so we we're, we're in the same unit and we kind of knew each other uh, we were in different platoons and then when we deployed they changed the personnel up. So Nick and I were in the same platoon. We were just in different squads. He was a team leader. I was a team leader. We were in different squads. We actually were across the hall from each other uh, in Afghanistan. It's kind of like a, we'll call it a dorm for lack of a better term. Um, but we were living in Connex boxes. So, um, but it was kind of funny. So we knew each other and we joke around all that, but like we weren't super close or anything. And now, you know, we talk on a semi-daily basis. Um, but yeah, so we were St. Platoon. He was on that mission when I got blown up. Um, you know, and there are other missions where our first mission, we went on called a RIP mission. When you're coming in to replace another unit, you'll go with them. You'll break your guys up and, and different, you know, you'll have a couple, send a few guys on each mission with the old unit to see what they're doing before they leave. And then after a week or so of that, everyone's kind of been on a mission or two. And so Nick and I were in a, a vehicle together with another guy, a um, good friend of mine. And so we were on a RIP mission together. And so it's kind of interesting that like my first first mission in Afghanistan and my last, Nick was on, but he and I were in the same vehicle a couple of times, including that first one. And the first one was weird because they didn't have enough comms for the three of us. There was like one or two headsets. So we'd kind of like trade off the headsets so we could hear what was going on in the car, in the truck. Um, so yeah, so to kind of round it out, as far as fulfillment from the military, I think I'm there. Uh, I love training soldiers and giving them information, but the army's making that increasingly more of a pain in the ass for me. And where I've got a daughter who's five and a son who's going to turn two here in a couple months. Um, I just look at it as like a soldiers at home. I need to be training. Sure. And uh, yeah. So um, that kind of rounds out my, my experience and, and being fulfilled, I'd say, I'd say I'm, I'm feeling fulfilled as far as my time in the service. Um, and as far as unbroken veterans, I think when I'm out, I'm going to have more time to devote to unbroken veterans. And I think we're still in early stages. Um, I, I think we've got the right idea. I think some of the stuff we're doing right now is going to stay, but I think we're still figuring out exactly our angle and how we're going to fit in. And it, uh, it came about because Nick being a veteran, he only had a couple months left after we got back. He didn't have much time in service left. And so he got out, um, I don't say, I don't know, but six months after we got back from Afghanistan or so. And so he was trying to get all this information on veteran benefits and he couldn't find any. He's looking at the podcast and there weren't really any podcasts. Just divulging, go to this place, talk to this person. Here's how this works. And then, uh, so he, he kind of had, what, well, not kind of, he absolutely had the idea for the podcast. And then, um, he came over to my house 
to ruck because I found out he, he moved into a similar part of town as me. And so he came over for us to ruck on this trail. For those of you who don't know what that is, uh, military rucking, army rucking, you're uh, basically got a big bag on your back, uh, ideally a back, an actual backpacking backpack you know, with the frame and everything. But, you know, you got a backpack, a Jan Sport, whatever it is, you're rucking, baby. And so uh, he came up. Yeah, that's a, that's a thing. If, if you guys don't don't know what, it, look it up. And you go on YouTube, whatever. But you can find ruck packs in weights, yeah. and you know, a lot of people ruck with like fifty pound packs plus, whatever. Yeah. It's it's a good little workout, right? And you're like you're not just going for a walk. You're like oh yeah, fifty pounds for you know however many miles you're. Well, especially that you can decide like how far and how much weight you know. And, and right. I I went pretty heavy weight because it was just so much better when you. <laughs> cut back um but yeah so he came over for ruck and then you know before he headed off he told me what he's interested in doing and asked me if i'd help out and so i said absolutely um some of my sales skills translate because you know i gotta produce we have to cold call people say hey you interested in being on the podcast we gotta you know explain who we are you know, when you call these people we've had some higher profile people and then some some not as high um uh, just in terms of um uh, recognition you know so like dr dr rachel yehuda she's she's a pretty big name at least if you're aware of of uh, the psychiatric industry and actually i'm reading a book right now on uh generational health and uh healing generational wounds and mm. she's actually quoted in one of the chapters and so that was interesting because i'm like oh i met her <laughs> talked to her for an hour yeah. so uh so yeah it, it takes it takes some skill to to call up and say, "Here's who I am. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm calling." And uh, so that's that's been good. And then also kind of Nick's a smart guy and he's picking it up. And so, but where I have more experience, it's it's good for me to be able to say, "Well, here, Nick, here's or we'd make a template, you know, that kind of thing too, especially for emails where you know template of, "Hey, here's who we are. Here's what we're doing." What um, where did the name come from? Like, what was the what's the background on it? So it, so I, uh, the basis for it came from a guy I know, um, I've known him for years because their family lived down the street from us when I was in kindergarten. So I played with his daughter and I were friends and then they moved away, but we still went to school together for years. So I've known him most of my life, actually, which is kind of funny to think about now. Um, and I was talking to him at one point, he was a Marine and we were talking and, and he was talking about some work he was doing. And he just said, and I'd heard the, the phrase before, we are not broken. And that's because um, there's there's such stigma behind a lot. You know, it's kind of funny that the people in the military, they, most of them don't want to be considered as heroes. Hey, I was just doing my job as part of it. And then, but we also, you know, when people, it's a delicate thing because people talking about, you know, oh, they're, they're broken, they're wounded, we need to fix them. And it's not you know, Hey, we've had some experiences and had, some of us have had worse luck than others, but we're not broken. We can function in society. We can, uh, just cause I lost my arm doesn't mean I can't be a contributing member of society in some way. And so it's, it's, and it's part of the, the, uh, mentality that the fight's never over. And so unbroken was just kind of, I, I can't remember. We looked at a couple different names. Um, another thing that helped shape it is Google, and looking up names to make sure we weren't too much alike. There's another one. I think I looked, saw it today. Um, and it was similar, but different enough yet that you could, you could delineate between the two of us. 
but that was another thing that shaped it was okay when we google it what else comes up <laughs> so from broken veterans nothing came up and so yeah. there we went and then the the logo was a funny story too because <laughs> i mean I like taking pictures of guns and kind of editing the, the photos and things like that. And that's about the extent of my artistic skill other than just talking. And so, uh, so we tried to make our own logo is where I'm going with this. And uh, I feel like Nick is more skilled than me, but to be honest, neither of us are graphic designers remotely. And so we had this just awful, I mean, it looked like we, we got licensed photos and then I threw in a photo of my own that I'd taken of something, but it was just like, it was like four squares of these pictures. It just looked like someone went on Google images and threw these images together. You know, it, it looked awful. And my wife was like, and she, she's very supportive and she's supportive in the way that I like love where she's going to tell me if it looks like trash. And I'm glad she does because this is something we take seriously. We want it to be good. We want the constructive criticism. So Granted, she is more delicate. She wouldn't tell me it looks like trash. She would just basically imply that I should go a different route. And so uh, she she does have care like that, where it's like some of my buddies are probably telling me it looks like trash. And they'd be right. And so anyway, she recommended me to somebody that, uh, or recommended us to somebody that did graphic design. And so we reached out to her and she took what we did. And basically it's got the four or five helmets on there. So she basically drew those helmets and like laid it out way better when i got it back i was like okay yeah this is what we wanted and there was no way for the rest of my life working at it i could have gotten this so the the end result was way better than our original attempt now, do you have any like key episodes that you guys have done that you found to be like the most either impactful from you like from the guest or like you actually learned something you like brought a lot of value any anything kind of stick out it what you've done so far it's so funny because we have so much information already just in 23 episodes that i'll re-listen to an episode um not to hear my own voice but sometimes more often than not to critique us and uh but i'll hear stuff and i'll be like oh yeah that's right you know and like it's kind of funny because one of our episodes is on the gi bill but that's one of those subjects so expansive. There's things I learned about the GI Bill and not at any fault to who we interviewed at all. You know, it was a full interview. But um, there's stuff I learned about the GI Bill, at least in two other interviews that were kind of parallel. So like Helmets to Hard Hats, uh, that's that's a good one, especially if it, it almost what it, what episode would benefit somebody it almost depends on what they're looking for. But like Helmets to Hard Hats, they they tell us that which we had no idea that uh, GI Bill will will covered trade school. Hmm. And so that's like, you know, to me, that's, that's one of the most important pieces of information I've uncovered. Not that I'm going to go, but for me to tell other people, because I think colleges now, I think they're so overrated, especially for what you're paying. And in a lot of cases, not necessary. And there's a lot of argument for trade schools. And that's yet another very heavy argument. If you're thinking of going to the military or you have gotten into the military and you're in there now, figure out how to transition to the civilian world. If you're willing to learn a more blue collar job, which, you know, no shame in that, uh, being electric, the, the industry needs electricians, they need plumbers. So if you're able to get that education covered by the military and go in with probably no debt, 
into working a, a job that actually pays pretty well. I know especially mm-hmm. electricians, those jobs can pay pretty well. So to me, that that's a big thing is not everybody wants to go do, do some, some difficult job or go get their MBA and not everybody needs to. And so the fact that that gap is bridged by that is pretty good. Um, our first episode holds a pretty good place in my heart just because um, Tim was such a good interview. He's such a lively guy. And uh, the information was really good as well. Um, but each each interview definitely probably carries some, some important information. The one with Dr. Yehuda, I'll never forget um, that the, the I'm trying to think of the laid out. Uh, basically, I asked about, <clears throat> you know, some of my issues are, uh, you know, especially early on years ago, self-confidence, things like that. And so I asked her how to instill confidence in my kids. And her answer was basically showing them you trust them by letting them fail and execute tasks. And I mean, it's because you want to help your kid. You're seeing them struggle to to stab a piece of meat with their fork and eat it. And you want to help them, but you're helping them by not helping them. Yeah. And and that was something that was something big because I've got young kids and I don't want to screw them up um, or at least a lot less than the average person, maybe. So I take fathering pretty seriously. And so that was a big one that stuck with me as well. So there's probably pieces from every episode that um, I would, I would say are pretty valuable pieces of information. Yeah. I, I like what you said. You know, I was thinking when you were talking about the, like the trades and, you know, earlier in the conversation, we were talking about like, you know, your infantryman or Marine grunt or whatever. And you're like, ah, you know, what, what, what do I do when I get out? And, you know, and, and that's a great point. Like, you know, those are on the move jobs, right? So if you're in infantry or, or Marine Grunt, uh, you know, whatever, 311, whatever, and you go, all I, all I know how to do is, uh, you know, shoot a rifle and, and ruck, and I'm not going to pay the bills doing that. And, you know, but, you know, those jobs, like in the trades, like those are on the move jobs. So really, yeah. you know, if you're coming, you know, from from that, that MOS area, you probably don't want that white collar job. You probably aren't looking to sit behind a desk, probably drive you bananas, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a that's a good point. The um, what what other you know things are you seeing kind of like in this journey? You know, what are the struggles of a transitioning veteran? Like, what are they up against? What are they missing? You know, what what do they need to know? I mean, obviously, listening to your show and you know seeing all the different things because you got you know VA housing, like you know all the mm-hmm. the things that you would want to know. It's a great you know menu of sorts um, to kind of find some answers. But I guess you know for the veterans listening or you know active duty thinking or getting out or whatever the case may be like, where, what are they missing? What, what, where do they screw up? I wouldn't even say it's, they screw up. It's, you don't know what you don't know. And yeah. I think a couple, a couple big pieces of transitioning. And some of this is just from what I've seen. Cause everyone is, well, everyone, there's probably a handful of different struggles and everyone experiences one, maybe a couple of them. I doubt very many people experience all of them. And so there's some like, I'm not going to know, partly because I've been in reserve the whole time. So I've had a civilian career. So it's pretty easy for me to pull out of the of the military when I kind of already have this going on. But I would say that the two kind of big ones are the emotional support. And to be specific, um, when you're in the military and I've served time on active as far as basic training and, uh, you know, two weeks of, well, sometimes up to a month almost of, of active duty orders and stuff here and there. So I, I've lived some of that life for sure. And uh, I mean, you were told where to be, who to be there with, 
what uniform to wear and what time. And so you are forced in a situation, you end up making friends, but when that force goes away and they just, there's this really good Instagram account called mandatory fun day. And he's got so many good videos that just point out like the, the whole hilarious hypocrisies, but there's a couple that the, there's a series he does kind of intertwined where it's like a veteran in a normal workplace. And so it's like, you know, them, you know, it's not transitioning in a funny way. And so, you know, where you're just like, okay, we'll just show up to here between this time and this time. They'll kind of tell you what to do. But like, other than that, you're on your own. It's, it's kind of like, you know, you're not forced into that situation where you're interacting with these guys. And so like monkey brain art interview is good. Cause we talk about that and they're like, this is, I almost liken it to them. They're like a formation, you know, you show up to formation to, and you see these guys and you, and gals now and you, and you maintain or you formulate a relationship and uh it's, it's a little harder to do that you know when you just everyone goes to work they do their job they keep most of them keep their heads down then they all got lives outside of there so mm -hmm. it's hard it's hard it's hard to formulate a connection human connection like you and i uh, you were talking about earlier humans needing that connection and so i think that's part of it so i think it's important for veterans to stay connected to each other but also to, to find groups you know a friend of mine got out uh, i want to say within the last year or so uh he's super into hunting and he's got a hunting dog and he found a group where uh, they all meet up and do hunting dog stuff i mean there's this formation right there is kind of what i call it you know yeah. it's showing up to his formation he's here's the time here's where to be and then he's going to make friends based on that and so i, th I think that's a big piece <clears throat> uh, i think another part is um I'm, I'm seeing this outside the veteran community too, is people don't know how to get a job. And cause it's, it's so, so easy to say, okay, you get out of the military, go get a job or, Oh, you're having trouble paying your bills. Go get a different job. Yeah. That is the solution, but it's such a vague way to like, they may not know how, and it's not that it's a difficult process, but you have to have some idea what you're doing. You have to know how to present yourself. You have to know, where to look or what kind of jobs are out there. A lot of people don't know what kind of jobs are out there. Sales probably covers 50% of the job market in one capacity or another, but people hear sales and they think like a used car lot. And that is so far from the majority of types of sales. And just using that as examples, I'm in it. But like when you walk into a, a McDonald's bathroom and you look at the paper towel dispenser, there is a guy that sells paper towel dispensers to McDonald's for a living. That's a sales job. McDonald's says we're building the McDonald's. We need four of these and whatever. So again, the point being that, that they don't know where to look or how to look. And it's kind of something Nick and I've been talking about and working on. We're going to try to have a uh, fillable form PDF on our website. So, you know, if you're interested, keep checking out our website. We are a slow moving vehicle um, with all the other stuff we have going on in life. Just ask Dale. It took months to get this interview together, but um, we are a slow moving vehicle, but that PDF will get there. And the idea being that they can put their phone number here, their address here, their name here. They can fill it out in this way to make it easy. OK, well, now they at least have a PDF, a, uh, <clears throat> a PDF of their resume. OK, that's that's kind of difficult. And it's not. Yeah, I have I have a resume that's good and that I've gotten jobs with it. I don't know if it's the best one I've heard. People say it looks good and, you know, whatever. But then also <clears throat> trying to figure out how we can talk. How do you go find a job? 
is as simple as just going on LinkedIn or Monster or whatever. And it is and it isn't again, but you know, going back to that 25% closing rate, if you call hundred businesses, you might get, you know, 25 for 25%. Um, you might get 25 opportunities for job interview. Okay. Well, the job interview is not the job interview. So now it's your closing rate on your new chances. So your new, you know, what's 25% of 25. And so it goes down from there. And that's where the skill comes in. You know, being able to talk to people, present yourself, answer questions, knowing what kind of questions they're going to ask in the first place and how to respond. Like if somebody says, Dale, what's, uh, what's your, what's your, your weakness as an employee? And then it's kind of like the trick is to make a strength sound like a weakness. And so, yeah, like I work too much or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's just an example, you know, I, oh, my weakness like, is you hire me. I'm going to be your hardest worker. And some yeah, exactly. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People don't like me because I work harder than them. You're right. Like something, yeah, yeah. I'm sure someone could class it up way better than I just did, but that was off, off the top of my head. So, um, but people don't know that stuff. And uh, there's a lot of groups of people that are trying to help them out, but you don't hear about them. And that's kind of where we come in. We're trying to get word out. Um, you know, you don't hear about them. Or then, I mean, some people, it, one of the several things the army taught me is you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And so at the end of the day, you can, I can go out and I can hold someone's hand and make them aware as possible of every opportunity or way to enhance their life but they still have to do it. You know, even if I go interview for them wearing a mask, I can't go to their job every day and help them maintain that job. So, uh, you know, if we can at least help the people that are willing to fall through, that's, that's a big step in the right direction. Yeah. And that, that's, you know, you've been talking about the numbers game and that in itself is a numbers game, right? More veterans you can get in front of and more, the more likely, you know, a percentage of them are going to take, take the steps that they wouldn't have otherwise, you know, unless they right. got that information from you guys. Right. Or they have the one, two and the not know how. And then when I said, we well, go click on this link and you can submit your application. Then if they call you, go see them. There's the how to, and then yeah. they can yeah, take all yeah. the willingness and attack. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned confidence earlier in, you know, no listener here of Lions Guide podcast hadn't heard this before, but it's, it's why I promote clarity so much is like, you know, you won't make moves unless you're clear on what the moves are, you know, and, and you know, like you said, like, um, and rightfully so, or you corrected me, it's like, you know, they don't know what they don't know. So you're right. really imparting, imparting, you know, a fair amount of clarity, like, Hey, here's, here's what you do need to know. Here's, here's what the opportunities are and here's where you go and here's the steps and here's what you, you can expect to get out of it. And, and that's, that's where confidence comes from, right? We, we fear the unknown, right? We're not going to move, oh, yeah. you know, when we, when we don't know, like that's a quick way to get stuck. And, yeah. you know, I tell people like, well, I'm stuck or I don't know what to do. Well, start researching, start asking questions, ask someone who's mm. been there, you know, whatever, and start getting that clarity because clarity builds confidence, confidence, you know, creates courageous action. And now you're moving, you know, you're yeah. in the right direction. So, yeah. Clarity, clarity is huge. Cause, uh, Communication is probably one of the most important skills I've found between both civilian and military career, because it's kind of amazing what people will let you do or help you do if you're clear about your intentions mm -hmm. and uh, especially in your execution. I mean, it's like I may or may not have parked a military vehicle at my house um, because I asked the police escort if I could do that. And there was some forethought. There's some other skill involved as far as planning and luck. There's a lot of luck involved. But at the end of the day, I took somebody aside, maybe allegedly, and said, Hey, what are you doing? You know, after you are done with us? Well, I'm on overtime. 
Awesome. Can I ask you another question? Okay. Uh, could we alter the route a little bit? Where are we going with this? And I explained exactly, I may have explained exactly what I wanted to do and just black and white. And I knew they were going to say yes or no. And they said yes. And then the, the only stipulation was, let me check with my partner when they arrived. That guy showed up. The one guy asked the other guy, he was good with it. So I have a, may or may not have a picture of a military vehicle in my driveway because I had a plan and I was extremely clear. Granted, it was an authority figure, but I was extremely clear about what my intentions were and how I wanted to execute it. And they let me do it. So, yeah. um, I mean, I, I've got some pretty good stories, but I mean, for every good story I have, there's a lot of no's that would have otherwise resulted in a good story. And so that's something for people to remember is you're going to get a lot of no's. That's something my five-year-old daughter's learning now. You got to accept some no's. And then uh, be glad for the S's. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you talk about father, and you know, because it goes back to that saying, you know, as far as being clear what you want, right? I, I, I had explained to my kids that saying. Maybe you heard it, like a closed mouth doesn't get fed. You mm. know, and I was explaining to them because we, you know, I was taking them to camp, and then we stopped at Dunkin' Donuts on the way, and my kids like mumbled, you know, because I, I make them do their own orders and stuff, and you know, like yeah, my yeah, little kind of kind of like mumbled a little bit. So I correct him. Like, hey, get your hand out of your mouth. Look at him. Talk clearly. Yeah. You know, and, and he told her, you know, eventually what he wanted, he wanted like a snack wrap or something. But we get in the car and he goes, hey, man, this is a bacon snack wrap. I wanted the sausage one. I say, did you, did you tell her that? You yeah. Know? And, 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 and I, I spent the rest of the ride at camp going, hey, man, closed mouth don't get fed. You got to speak up. If, if, yeah. if you wanted that sausage snack wrap. And I said, you got to remember that, you know. And I even took it back. I was like, because we got little – uh, bird houses here that had birds in it. I said, you know, when you see you open the nest to check the chicks, what do they got? They got their mouths open, right? I said, imagine, you know, that that, that fifth little chick, it doesn't open its mouth. What, what's going to happen? They're like, well, it's not going to get fed. I'm like, exactly right. You know, you got to open up. You got to you got to say what you want and mean it. You know, you'll get it. Mm -hmm. People people will help you get what you want. You know, a lot of people are afraid to voice it, afraid, afraid to put it out there, man. Like, you know, do it, man. What do you got to lose? Yeah. Like you said, somebody's going to say no or so, you know, whatever, like, Hey, move on and move yeah. to the next one. <laughs> I forgot about most of the no's. That's for sure. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, what are you going to do? Let it stop you. You know, you right, give you up now? stop like, moving. Yeah. yeah. I'm too stubborn to give up. You know, I'm, I don't not give up because I'm like this hard individual. That's got credible resolve. I'm just too stubborn to give up. So I'll move on to the next thing. Yeah, hundred percent. So, what do you? Where, where else you guys going with the podcast? You got any other goals for it aside from kind of helping with the you know the resume type stuff and all that? Or see, we're kind of we're, we're letting it be pretty organic, and, and part of that is it, it makes it it's a convenient approach to have when you got a lot of other stuff going on. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, we're we're letting it kind of just just grow again. We're we're we kind of let it decide the direction it takes sometimes the uh the idea about so when we interview someone we break into two episodes and so the first uh episode featuring them is about whatever the subject is or or organization or whatever it is like this most recent one uh the the first episode that mike kenny is on is about warriors ascent which is what he runs which is a um basically it's a, it's a program you can join it's five days and it's for mental health. Mm. And so, um, but then the second episode is about Mike and his experience because he's a veteran. So if we interview a veteran, as long as they're okay with it, and so far everyone has been, 
uh, we've interviewed them about whatever is the subject. And then we do, uh, we do it at the same time, but then we cut it into a second episode featuring their veteran experience. One of the, and it's got some good questions in there. Definitely. We always get a good response from, uh, my favorite question is if you go back in time to the day you signed up, what advice would you give yourself? And we've, I don't think we've ever gotten the same answer twice. We've always gotten good, solid answers. Yeah, I imagine you do. I imagine you do. Yeah, that's so, solid. But all that just kind of organically happened. And so it's kind of like, kind of like the thing where you, do you want to be lucky or smart? <laughs> we're lucky. <laughs> that's where we're lucky. And so hopefully the luck doesn't run out and we can kind of keep going. We're, we want to go to a few more events would be in our interest. Um, I got to get these t-shirts made so we can sell them to get some money to go to the events. But, um, you know, it'd be cool if one day it's our full-time job. I mean, I would be able to work on this stuff all day, but, um, you know, right now we got other commitments, other jobs and, uh, we're, we've lost money. So we definitely aren't close to putting our day job anytime soon. But again, to me, it's not losing money because, um, I always got this mentality of, of, um, if I can help somebody, just yeah. one person, you know, you can't put a price on that. Our, our overall goal, and I don't know how we could ever quantify this, but if if our information getting out there impacts the veteran suicide rate, if enough people are able to either get help or fix their lives to where they don't feel the need to commit suicide, again, no idea how to quantify that, but, you know, if it can just be out there in the universe and people, information we put out, oh, that's how I go get a job. Okay, well, then that doesn't lead to whatever road they were on. You know, it, it takes them fork in the road and takes them on a different path that's more productive. Um, that'd be great. So, you know, the way I look at it is, um, you know, lost money, but who knows what good was done with it. So yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I, really I was going to say, you can't really correlate it that way almost, right? No, you can't. The, the impact that you're delivering, right. right? You're, it's a, it's a, it's a worthy, uh, investment of your time and energy Absolutely. And, and probably money. Right. You know, and, yeah. and you'll never know that answer. I mean, you'll, exactly. And that's okay. Yeah. But you can, you can guarantee that you've impacted someone, you know, whether you ever sure. hear their story or not, which yeah. you, know, you you can rest easy with that for sure. You know, yeah. definitely seeing what, what the content is you guys have out there and it's, and it is a need. And, you know, we, we do as veterans, you know, need these resources and we need, you know, we need it thrown at us in every angle, you know, like, yeah. you know that we can get it from, because, you know, certainly with the, you know, you go to these stupid government websites, they're so freaking like jam packed oh, yeah. with like, you don't know where you're going and you no. click here and it's just like you're running in circles and then you're just like, well, screw it, you know, and then mm -hmm. you're done. So, you know, I think, you know, having a good resource that just kind of breaks it down yeah. helps helps you get where you want to be. Is, is well, and I've come to see that. I, I mean, I knew, I knew this was a thing, but I never really thought about it in my head. But like there's government ran benefit groups, you know, like VA hospital being an obvious one. But, you know, there's government programs that are run, maintained, paid for by the government that are good. And then there's also private organizations that are not affiliated with the government that are also good. Yeah. I'd say most most on either side are good. Um, so yeah, that's a whole other thing is like you go to government side, they're not necessarily going to list all the good privately ran uh, ones. Sure. That could be of interest. So that's that's yet another example of just where it, there's really no one stop shop, which is our goal, our end goal is to be that, but there's no one stop shop yet for, I need some help. Go to yeah. this website. And then, uh, yeah, Nick's the website guy. He's doing a pretty good job with that, but he's, he's more of an IT guy than me. I'm like 80. 
What'd you say? I'm so, like 80. Yeah, I'm like 80. Yeah. <laughs> I have a flip phone if they still sold them, but they don't. Yeah. So, <laughs> so packing your packing your beeper. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh yeah, my phone's on silent. I'm one of those. I'm one of those asses that just never answers the phone. I'll see you call and I'll call you back, but I'm terrible. But it drives my wife crazy sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah honestly. Talking about mental health, I, I encourage people, you know, freaking check your phone. Don't let it check you, man. Turn all that crap off. Shut off all the notifications. Put yeah. it on silent and check it when you got the capacity. Don't let it thing check you every minute, every, yeah. you know, throughout the day. Freaking drive you bananas. So, mm-hmm. yeah, man. Well, Sam, bring it to a close here. But um, before we run, what? how can we find your website and what platforms, website, so on and so forth? All right. So the... <laughs> If you go on Google, you search Unbroken Veterans. I don't think we're the first and maybe not even the second one that comes up, but our Instagram, our LinkedIn, our Facebook, they kind of come up next. And whatever comes up first is not Unbroken Veterans. Very similar. I don't remember what it is. But the point is, is that those come up. The website's a .io because we're uh, we're just at that tier of business right now. But um, I think the website might come up on Google. Obviously, it's going to be shared in the, in the notes today on the podcast. Um, but of course, it is also shared on all of our social media, which comes up, you know, pretty early on in the Google search, at least on the first page. So those are I, I wish it could be a little easier one day. Hopefully it is. But it's a relatively easy way to find us, get a hold of us. We have a spot on our website. You can message us. Um, and then, of course, on on all those media, you can message us. Please bear with us. We don't check everything every day Again, slow moving machine. But um We'd love to have you reach out with just you like it or suggestions for content. Um, we take all suggestions seriously because we look at it as we want to cater to the veteran world, not just Nick and I. So, yeah, definitely. In uh, what app, Apple, Spotify? Yeah, we're on app. Good question. Apple, Spotify, Google. I think another one. It's an emblem I don't recognize. And again, as we've established, I'm 80. So, um, <laughs> it's, uh, but, but those are all, of course, linked. We have everything linked together. Uh, Nick is a master of webbing everything together, so it should be easy to find. Sweet. Yeah. No, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on and kind of tell us a little bit about what you're doing. And uh, and yeah, un- Unbroken Veterans, like I say, if you search it, you'll find it. And like I say, you can if you go on uh, one, whatever your podcast platform is and search in there. It comes right up. Um, so so not, not too hard to find. So, uh, man, Sam, I appreciate you. It's been an honor to have you on. I, I, I definitely you know appreciate and honor the work that you're doing, man. Keep it up. I mean, regardless of what it's taken and frequent, infrequent, whatever, like, like I said, that, that stuff's, you know, banking up, you know, some yeah. veteran, you know, next year and you got another, you know, third, mm-hmm. you know, 15 to 30 episodes out there. Right. You know, it's, you know, it's out there on the shelf for them. Yeah. Know? So, so yeah, man, hats off to you, I, man. I appreciate you I, guys. Thank you. Thank you. The, the honor, the honor is mine. And yeah, I don't think we'll quit and may go to, you know, we could do one episode in six months and then do five in the next, you know, just, We'll, we'll get information out as we can. And um, again, I appreciate you having me on, helping spread the word. It's kind of the most common thing question people ask is how can we help and just spread the word. Yeah, man, definitely. Well, hey, Sam, thank you so much. And I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you.